Welcome to the WNCA Podcast. This is your host, Jack Gaines. WNCA is a product of the Civil Affairs Association and brings in people who are current or former military, diplomats, development officers, and field agents to discuss their experiences on ground with the partner nation's people and leadership. Our goal is to inspire anyone interested in working the last three feet of foreign relations. To contact the show, email us at capodcasting at gmail.com. Or look us up on the Civil Affairs Association website at www.civilaffairsassoc.org. I'll have those in the show notes. Okay, testing. Can you hear me, Dan? Yes, loud and clear. Today, Courtney Mulhern interviews Dan Joseph, author of the Combat Psych website and the book Backpack to Rucksack, Insight into Leadership and Resilience for Military Experts. His articles and tools are to help soldiers and their families build mental fitness and overcome past trauma so that they can live healthier, happier lives. As you know from Courtney Mulhern's episode, she's a practicing therapist and a terrific interviewer. So I put the two together for this episode. This is part one of two. I'll have a link to his site in the show notes. So back to Courtney. Hi, Dan, and welcome to the 1CA podcast. Thanks for having me. Yes, we've got a lot to talk about today. Looks like you've been very busy with several books out now and still more coming. So I want to talk to you about all of that. But before we get into that, I just want to hear a little bit about your military service. Yeah, I was a combat engineer training folks to go deploy and was a platoon leader. Got to spend a lot of time with the Joes out in the field. And it was a short contract. I was only in for three and a half years and I'm out now, but definitely I'm looking at rejoining in in other capacities. Okay. So kind of moving into your writing process, just kind of curious how you got into writing. So the main crux of it was getting out of the military, trying to fit in society and realizing I was totally different. I changed in a big way that I didn't expect. It was quite subtle, to be honest. And I joined old. I joined at 32, right? So a lot of my buddies were 18, 19 when I met them. Because I had to go through basic training before OCS. And so mental health was a big issue due to COVID. I was in the military during the lockdowns. I had a soldier survive his suicide attempt. Another friend of mine lost 13 men from his unit to suicide after Afghanistan, which is a crazy, crazy number. It's unfathomable pain to think about. And so mm-hmm. when I got out, I just wanted to make sense of what was going on and what I felt as points of friction with my identity and who I was. I also wanted to apply, because I'm a big nerd, aspects of neurophysiology to the concept of being a leader in the military, what that means in an environment where your sympathetic response and parasympathetic response are constantly triggering on and off due to high intensity, high urgency, combat experience, things of that sort. Working with a lot of combat veterans, I witnessed the weight that they carried, and it just begged the question, how does a military leader stay tactically aggressive, but at the same time, show consideration and care and love for the men and women who are in their platoon, in their unit, who potentially are struggling with invisible weight? And so it's just one big constellation of variables. There's so many moving parts. So writing was just my way of kind of trying to process all of this. So where does one even start? How do you start to organize the thoughts pen to paper? So my first book was a journal entry that turned into like 400 pages. When I got out, I thought about my soldier, Cody. He wrote the introduction to the book. The foreword was written by Austin, who lost 13 of his men. 
and I started journaling on what could be done to help those who are hurting and struggling with depression, with suicidality, with difficult feelings. So I started a, a journal entry about the neurobiology that underlies chronic depression. So it was kind of like this dual process of what does my gut tell me? And then what does the science tell me? Mm -hmm. And I was trying to make sense of this. And all of a sudden I realized, hey, this is an interesting dualistic process here. So I'm looking at warm, fuzzy feelings, and then I'm looking at hardcore functional MRIs and brain scans and, and all of that. And I wanted to marry the two. And then that turned into multiple pages. And then I thought, well, I could write about another soldier right now that I know. I could write about a Marine that I met and an airman and a Navy rescue swimmer, a Navy EOD. And so I started piecing together kind of this crumb trail of service members who inspired me and touched my life even before I joined the military. And this book came out with little nuggets of advice that hopefully will help incoming leaders, especially junior officers, have a special kind of consideration for the nuanced variables of being a leader. Mm -hmm. So then backpack to rucksack. So was there anything specific that made you want to focus your your thoughts into this book or how did this one start? So yeah, this one started as the journal entries. And then I created the combat psych handbook as a boiled down version of it. Um, and I geared it specifically towards men because men tend to have less emotional vocabulary and they're much more inclined if you look at the rates of suicidality and successful suicides. It's way higher, like I think it's four to one when it comes to men. And so there's just such a stigma on talking about feelings and discussing things. And so I wanted to give the troops some really, really boiled down lists of thoughts and phrases, self-talk, journal prompts, and just variations on how to describe their feelings, how to understand their feelings, and why it doesn't mean that they're weak because they experience very inconvenient feelings at times. Again, it goes down to the neurocircuitry of the brain. So that was a distilled version of Backpack to Rucksack. I like how you organize the chapters. So you kind of give keywords at the beginning that will be discussed throughout the chapter with some definitions and then an introduction, how to be a good military leader, the psychological application, and then leadership advice. While I was in the army, during the lockdowns, things got slow, right? A lot of the pipelines were shut down. So ranger school, airborne, aerosol, everything was just on hold. And so I thought, man, what do I do with indefinite amount of time? And I thought, well, army offers tuition assistance. So I started a online organizational psychology degree. And what I loved about getting a master's in org psych is that, you know, there's no necessarily right or wrong answer when you give a prompt to the professor, but you need to back it up with peer-reviewed journal citations. And so I started looking at terms and definitions and ideas and concepts in the world of psychology, but based on peer-reviewed journals. So there's a community of researchers that agree or disagree on certain things. And so I kind of brought that muscle memory into this book. And so I wanted to offer terms that basically provide a sense of objectivity, that I'm not just talking about my feelings and my perspective. Yes, a lot of the book reflects that for sure, but I also wanted to inject some objective truth that regardless of my biases, I wanted to mitigate that as much as possible. So I thought, let me add some of the words, the definitions, let me add some journal citations and give credit to researchers who did the science and then expand on that. 
definitely. And throughout this book, you discuss many of your relationships and with just other service members, both peers, friends, and mentors as a part of your research. So what was that like talking to different service men and women and, and hearing their stories and, and just making them a part of this book? A lot of these people molded me before I joined and while I was in. I had my own issues growing up. I had my own experiences and I was not in a healthy lifestyle before I joined and was asking myself existentially like who I want to be in this world. I started meeting service members. I met some awesome Navy SEALs here in San Diego, started working out with them. I started meeting EODs who were coming back and forth from multiple deployments back to back in Afghanistan. I started having these conversations with people who were my demographic, my age range and all that, but they were doing some things in their lives that I, I just couldn't even wrap my head around. And I saw their self-discipline. I saw their humility. I saw how focused they were and that they weren't doing horrible things with their lives like me and my friends were doing. And that rubbed off on me. I wanted to emulate that. And so this book is kind of a journey through all the different people who mentored me through the way they behaved, just observing them and seeing the qualities that they had. And yeah, I didn't have a great relationship with my father. And so especially for me, meeting male mentors was really cool to just understand what healthy masculinity looked like. And jujitsu played a big role in that as well, getting me to just break my own ego or having black belts on the mats break my ego for me and allow me to reconstruct it in a healthy way, just knock down my pride. I needed that. And then some of my sisters in arms showed me kind of their side of it too, what it was like being in the military with, with certain issues that they were facing. And it was a family, you know, and so we all kind of bonded together. It was just cool identifying as service members wanting to strengthen America. And that was the overarching relationship that we had with each other and anything else that we brought to the table, regardless of race gender, any ideologies that we had, we just together in uniform, you know, we all needed to work together and that was it. Absolutely. So how were you able to network across different branches and ranks? Like if there are units out there, you know, it's important to, we're all brothers and sisters in this. So how, how would you suggest to, to network with each other? One big thing was jujitsu gyms. Just fight houses. So if you do MMA, jujitsu, Muay Thai, things of that sort, you know, CrossFit, go to a gym where you meet people and with uniforms, right? So you meet all these different service members who are driven, who are motivated, who are making healthy decisions with their minds and their bodies. And that's a way to connect. I met a lot through like church groups and men's groups and things like that, where I was intentionally seeking mentorship and just kind of spiritual guiding as well. And then honestly, just having, having conversations with people from whether you're going to MEPS and you're joining, you just talk to the people left or right of you, or if you're at a DFAC, at a dining facility. I mean, having that openness to just talk to people like they're people, regardless of rank. And I noticed that just the more relaxed someone is in approaching others in uniform, you allow them to relax as well. And you can have these awesome discussions. And one thing that was so cool was I'd be working with a soldier let's say a senior NCO who's fairly reserved. And then I would just ask them a question. Hey, so how long have you been in? Where have you deployed? What's your take on things going on right now? And we would talk about what they experienced 
in combat like things would come up that they'd want to share voluntarily it was just so cool to know that they did these things for our country and they weren't looking for the limelight or anything but by just validating that and asking them to share some wisdom you know i'm a new officer tell me something that i don't know that you know that you learned in war that you want me to know and you just see them light up and say yeah you know what when it comes to this this should be your focus so these are your priorities this is how you care for people and then it would just blossom into these discussions where you realize you're talking to the smartest person in the room and then they're also the quietest they're the most reserved i love that you know i'm just naturally curious about people's inner world and what, what makes them tick i love that because in the military it's so easy to look at somebody as rank or just see what tabs they have but when you really get to know them and you know the sacrifice that they've experienced or the childhood they experienced that was huge too so i'd have soldiers in my platoon who grew up in ghettos in chicago it was common that people young teenagers had to carry weapons on them just to make it to school and not get mobbed mm-hmm. they come to work clean shaven they got things together it's, it's all good right then you find out what they're going to go home to on the holidays or the stuff that they're struggling with or the stuff their family's still going through that they've escaped because they joined the military these are all sorts of things that just really make the culture of the military so rich, but it often goes unappreciated and unknown. Yeah, and we're more than just the job or whatever we're called to do, and uh, everyone's got a story to tell, so I think that's great to stay curious and and find that common activity or, or whatever just to kind of engage in conversations with each other. I think that's really important, so I'm glad that you highlight that in the book. And also, I kind of noticed that at different times in your life, in different situations, you like sometimes you needed compassion to kind of get you through it. Other times you needed a, a bit of a tough love approach. And I think it's kind of just in regards to leadership, it kind of shows that not one size fits all. Like you can't be just tough love the entire time for that specific person. And I think that was just kind of my takeaway that we just have to stay authentic to who we are and stay consistent in that and for whoever we're leading. So I just thought that was great that you took different things from different people, different leadership styles. Yeah, it's just frustrating. It's frustrating when somebody doesn't put in the effort to kind of customize their approach to different people. And I'm, I'm not saying be inauthentic or necessarily shift too much in how you address people but but just understanding that everyone has different motivations and you know whether it's there's intrinsic motivational factors and extrinsic motivational factors and knowing how to inspire people is it's tough to do it takes a little bit of thought but there's in psychology they talk about a transformational leader versus a transactional leader and transformational leaders you know they reach inside somebody and pull something out or at least they enable that concept within them and it's really really inspiring to see that because you're not forcing someone to do the job they're genuinely fired up about it and then transactional leadership is you will do the job and then i will pay you for the job and that's it kind of a thing and that there's a time and place for all this stuff and i mean leadership in itself is complicated enough just being a manager at a company is complicated enough let alone an environment where things can become lethal very quickly this stuff is not to be taken lightly and so how how do leaders motivate others to dig deeper into that mental toughness and resilience like what should we be doing now and how to motivate people that just aren't quite there yet so just from what i experienced with the soldiers in my platoon and this is like such a prickly discussion to have but giving autonomy to soldiers within reason is great to get them motivated a lot of these folks are moms and dads by the time they join even though they're so young you know you look at them and they're 
married, they've got families that they're running. So when they take a job in the military, they don't want to feel like they're being treated as children. And so to let them know, I will give you adult responsibility. I will treat you like an adult until you prove otherwise. And I'll give them those left to right limits and grant them that autonomy to go execute. And that really motivates them. I'd ask them, what are your hobbies? What are your interests? What are your goals after the military? Whether it's in a year, whether it's in a couple decades. And then just letting them know there's tuition assistance, there's an educational center, there's ways to start investing in yourself as a human being outside of uniform. And they love that stuff because that proves that I'm looking at them as more than just a soldier doing a soldier's job in a very specific capacity. And by the way, the healthier that somebody is holistically, they're going to be healthier in uniform. So if we work on their resilience, if we work on their self-care, self-enrichment, education, their knowledge, it's going to translate at work. They're going to be more present. There'll be less safety issues. There'll be less mistakes. They'll be more rested. And when the op tempo gets insane, they'll be more recharged for those aspects as well. It'll avoid burnout. And again, looking at the neurochemistry of the brain, the more we tax these service members, our service members, the less resources they have cognitively to function. So yes, tough love does work, but it needs to be followed with rest. It needs to be followed with self-care. There has to be a regenerative aspect to that where they can recharge their battery and whatever tough love we experience like for me if i get pummeled in jujitsu on the mats and i get absolutely crushed by my training partner i get to go home and rest and then come back to the mats healthy to get crushed again but if i get crushed back to back get that tough love on the mats back to back i will get injured the inflammation is going to accumulate and i'll be injured and then guess what i can't train for six months so that's what i want to see more in the military self-care and letting people have not necessarily just downtime but there's various ways to throttle down the stress and that's to promote longevity by the way right and i think that kind of goes along the lines of getting to know your soldier too because everyone's going to obviously have different needs but if you just get to know them and directly ask them what works well for you and what do you need i think that really probably goes a long way as well yep I know there's a time and place where we have to simulate war, right? Right, And so we can't ask that because it's not applicable in that scenario. But letting them know that is awesome. Again, identifying that, just labeling that lets them know, well, there will be an end to this. Deployments last so long. War lasts so long. And to just remind them that things are going to suck for a period. It's going to be tough. But that doesn't mean that we have to stop looking at our future goals. Because once you lose hope, things get dark pretty fast. And that's where mental health issues really become aggravated. But to let the soldiers know, hey, this isn't permanent. There will be a point where you are going to get rest. You are going to get downtime. You are going to get vacation days, whatever it is, and help them plan for that and help them feel supported in the relationships around them. And that's what we do best in the military. When we're in an austere training environment, when we have to embrace the suck, we do it together. That's what galvanizes our relationships as brothers and sisters in arms. And so to foster those type of discussions is huge, to put the focus on that. Mm -hmm. But some leaders won't do that. I've witnessed it where some leaders just focus on how hard things are going to be and how terrible things are going to be, end of discussion. But then you see these leaders who acknowledge, hey, this is tough, but guess what? Look out for those next to you because we are all we have in this environment. 
And those are really inspiring briefs to get because it reminds us why we signed that contract. But a lot of that has to do with that trickle down effect from the command climate. That's the end of part one. We'll see you next week for part two of Courtney Mulhern and Dan Joseph. Thanks for listening. If you get a chance, please like and subscribe and rate the show on your favorite podcast platform. Also, if you're interested in coming on the show or hosting an episode, email us at capodcasting at gmail.com. And now, most importantly, to those currently out in the field, working with a partner nation's people or leadership to forward U.S. relations, thank you all for what you're doing. This is Jack, your host. Stay tuned for more great episodes, 1CA Podcast.